Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Hey everyone, we are filming season three of the Honey and Hustle podcast live at the Durham Bottling Co. right in downtown Durham. We're about to get into a great conversation, but before we do that, I'd really appreciate it if you take a moment to share this episode with someone who you think might get some value from it. Feel free to tag me on the podcast on social media, and I'll be sure to put those links on the video and in the description below. If you're listening to the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. It helps others find the show and lets me know how I'm doing at this video podcast thing. If you'd like to support the show, be sure to check out our affiliate links, shop our merch, and subscribe to the Honeypot newsletter and this YouTube channel, all at the links in the description. Without further ado, let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me at the Durham Bottling Co. And just talk a little bit about what you have going on that's clearly on your chest, but that we will hopefully get an idea and print it in people's minds as they're listening and watching. So thank you guys. For everybody who's watching and doesn't know who this is, this is Topher of Quorum Homes, which is... um, an incredible outfit that's doing some meaningful de- construction and development here in the Triangle area. But I don't want to tell your story. I want people to kind of hear it from you. Okay. Um, so you, especially it's your one-year anniversary, you have to celebrate if nobody else celebrates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yes. So, I mean, yes, it is my one-year anniversary. So we incorporated officially in March of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story of, like, getting to incorporation, I think, is, like, yeah. where this all came from. And I could start that from, like, when I was born, but I'm going to fast forward. To okay. Like, <laughs> let's fast forward to, like, 2018. Okay. I'm working as a teacher, and I have a wife and two kids. Um, my wife has started working as a birth doula. Um, to like bring extra money and also, you know, she was doing some contract work, um, but just like was pursuing her passion in, in birth work mm-hmm. and, and it was really cool. And I was like, man, like to like see her do that inspired me to like start thinking about something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And at the very same time, we were also like broke because I was a teacher and she was a birth doula and neither of those jobs make a ton of money. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so a part of me was also trying to figure out like what what can I do? Like, I don't want to stop teaching, but like, what can be done to like bring an extra income and still allow for what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And at the very same time, like property values were going up and like, there was already talk in 2018 as there has been for, for years and years of just like the lack of affordable housing and availability. And I had, we had this space in our backyard where there were these two trees and there was shade and we loved gardening, but nothing could grow in that space. And I was like, man, it'd be cool if we could just build a little thing there that could just be kind of short term transitional housing for people. 
And so I was like, let me try to figure out how to do that, you know? And growing up, my dad was uh, very into carpentry and very into like building things. He was also a teacher, became a principal, but I very much had the building bug from him. Okay. And so I was like, I could piece something together. Yeah. And so I started like going to construction sites. Starting in 2018, I just started like piling up leftover lumber. And instead of just like asking people like, hey, are you gonna like use those two by fours? Sometimes they'd be like, yes, yeah. sometimes they say no. And, but I collected enough to frame out a whole 90 square foot house in my backyard. Okay. Now, I was young and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I didn't get any permits. Mm. I didn't do any of it right. Um, it, was, it was a mess, it was a debacle. <laughs> but I got it done, I built it and started renting it out. Okay. And it was going really well. And so that brings us, so it took me through 2019 to get it built. But I did, and then started running it out January of 2020. Um, and so from January of 2020 to March of 2020, um, it went well. Rented it out, didn't have any major issues. Yeah. Um, but then the city found out that there was this illegal structure in my yard, which like I didn't even know that it was illegal at the time. <laughs> because there's a rule that you can build something that's 12 foot by 12 foot and not need a permit. And I was like, oh, great. But that only applies to sheds. So okay. if anybody's thinking about building something in their backyard, if it's a shed under 12 feet, that's fine. But if it's gonna be a dwelling, there's a whole bunch of different rules, all of which I, I know now. <laughs> um, so that was like the first major error. And, um, but at that point, money had come in from the rent and it was feeling like a good idea. I was like, okay, there is something to this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, people were telling me, nobody's gonna live in a 90 square foot house. You know, and I'm like, We'll see. Yeah. And but they did, and that was and that was cool, and that was enough for me. March 2020, obviously the world kind of comes crashing down. A pandemic hits. Mm -hmm. I start teaching from home, and so I have all this time now to tear down the structure, read the code book, read some architecture books, read a lot more building and planning books, and then redesign and restructure a building, get it all permitted correctly. And so from March of 2020 to August 2020, I tear it down, redesign, rebuild, and put an appropriate permitted structure in my backyard. Okay. And at the very same time, down the street, um, in about July of 2020, one of my neighbors was getting evicted. Mm. Um, or just like priced out, you know, like nicely evicted. Like either pay us this much or you gotta go. Nicely evicted. <laughs> right, is there a way to even say that? Yeah. But, um, but that happens, you know, like the, the, the landowner wanted to make some money, flip the house, and they did. Um, and that person ended up kind of couch surfing with some friends, but was like, hey, can I leave on your backyard? I wanna stay on the street. And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, we already knew her and her partner and it, was, it just worked out. Mm -hmm. And I asked, what can you afford? We talked through numbers and we found a number that worked and they moved in and they still live back there. And so that was August, 2020. And so that and then, then popped into my head, like, okay, ADUs can be this kind of anti-displacement tool because like this process happens. Like we just noticed, you know, especially if you live on a street like mine, you see like these homes that were there for years and years and years, all of a sudden, the people who live there are gone. Mm -hmm. Somebody's come in and knocked it down and up comes this like new structure. Mm -hmm. and, and there's this like disconnect, there's a lack of agency, right? Um, so from August to March of 2020, August 2020 to March of 2021, I kind of like mull over these ideas. Um, and I read a couple books like The Color of Law. Um, I read um, this book called Brave New Home uh, by Diane Lind. And just start really thinking about housing. Okay. And, um, and I gotten to know the Bull City 150 website as well, which talked about just housing and equity in Durham. And like all of these things conflated to just like compulse me to, to do something, aside from just the one in my backyard. Like there was the one in my yard already, but it was just like, okay, there's something here that I think 
could be done. And people were building ADUs, but I wanted to figure out how could we do it for folks in my position, like cost burdened homeowners, mm -hmm. for the purpose of people who were being priced out of their living situation. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing I wanted to try to solve and come up with. And mm -hmm. so March 2021, I was like, all right, kind of pull the trigger and like form an LLC and then start asking people for money to invest and get it started. And met some really amazing people who trusted me to do it and then we got started and we've built uh two homes are complete three homes are under construction one is about to start hopefully in the next month or two okay yeah so we made went from one to six in progress we have yes. made we have gone a long way and that's awesome um when we typically talk about equity both on this show and in life and on social media people think um you know racial equity gender equity um, sexual orientation equity in mm -hmm. terms of law and policy and treatment and recognition and mm -hmm. um, just anti-discrimination policy, those type of things. But there's also home equity, right, which is where a lot of our wealth is stored as uh, Americans, as people on this country, because land ownership is like the number one determinant of like your success and stuff. Yes. And so, um, or not success, but just like wealth accumulation, I guess I should say. But you know, when it comes to really quantifying that, instead of tackling the big beast that is land ownership and what has been the history of land ownership in this country, you're like, let me start small. Let me not even start with like a three bedroom, two bath townhome, which is the story of Durham right now. Let right. me start with what I can maintain and what I can do on my own property. And so what has that experience been from going to like, this is this one thing that I did at a time where I wanted to just try it out and mm -hmm. like have extra income to now being in a position to help other people gain some ownership and efficacy in their own wealth accumulation. Right, right, right. So if I understand your question, you're asking, what have I, like what have I learned about that, about yeah. like that process and, yeah. and what it can mean for people? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can start with my own story. Yeah. Like, I mean, building that in my backyard allowed me, you know, like we had a pretty high interest rate when we bought our home. We got into like one of those like first home buyer programs and it was great. Um, but it was a high interest rate and by, we were, by adding that to our backyard, we were able to refinance, added a ton of property value to our property and just gave us like a much better financial position on top of having the rent come in. So like all these like little things just like very much freed up our family hmm. um, financially to a degree. And, and to me, like that was huge. And that's something that I want to see shared mm -hmm. for people. Um, but also like I want to see equity, that home equity shared amongst people. And going back to, like, you touched on land ownership, yeah. you know, like, in a very small way, Quorum is trying to, like, hint at some of the trouble with land ownership. And inherently what land ownership does, like, not that trying, I, I am a homeowner and I own land atop of my homeownership, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what it does is it does implicitly cause us to delineate, like, what's mine and what's not, and take ownership of something that really is, is none of ours, right? Like, I don't own the land that I live on, right? I'm going to die eventually, yeah. and that land's going to be for somebody else. And on top of the fact that all of this land was stolen to, to begin with. <laughs> yeah. So there's that, right? Um, and so like, part of what an ADU does is it pivots your view of your own space, mm. right? Like, and this was an ongoing conversation in my own home, like with my own family. I have like a wife and two kids, and now we have this house in our backyard and these new people in our backyard. And so it's like, is this our garden? Like us as our family? Or is it like our garden, right? <laughs> like all these people. Mm -hmm. um, 
And those are questions that we have to think through and answer. And I think that for many of us, like the, the American dream or like the thing that capitalism wanted to teach us of just being a self-sufficient human being capable of taking care of yourself, like making that the epitome, the most virtuous thing that you can do. I think a lot of us are becoming disillusioned by that notion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and trying to find a more communal way of, of being. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to like overturn capitalism or anything like that. Um, like this is a capitalistic venture. Yeah. But for us to like pivot slightly towards just shifting from mind to ours yeah. in as many little ways as we can, just so that we can see each other. Mm-hmm. And I think like if we can start there, I think that's a huge place to start. And then, you know, infusing capital into these backyards that have not had attention paid to them or have capital infused, like that leads to then like the kind of uplift that you want to see. And for me, like I want to see these ADUs, corner houses as a whole, like owned by the communities that where they go, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that as they increase property value, that like my neighbor over here is invested in this. And so as that grows in value, so does their own value, mm-hmm. right? Um, monetary value. And I think that that is, like, that's the end goal. That's what I want to see is, like, a community invested in its own development. Right. So that the benefits of development are not just for the developers, but for the areas where the development is happening. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, we live in the triangle, which is like the Silicon Valley of the East. You've already talked about how, you know, even in 2018, property values were increasing because people saw the opportunity that is here. Mm -hmm. And someone mentioned to me, I moved here in 2019, Mm. but somebody mentioned, they're like, yo, like we hit a recession. If something happens everywhere else, will feel it but us like we're in our own little economic bubble and we this area did very well in the over the pandemic and it's still continuing to do well because Mm -hmm. many big employers are coming like google like apple like nike um you know so people are seeing the opportunity they're moving here they're like oh man i used to live in new york and i paid how much you think i mean i can get this much house for great see you there you know i'll pay whatever you ask but the people that are benefiting are not the community right it's the developers you know it's the construction companies it's, it's not, you know, Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, people who have been here, lived here, parents lived here, grandparents lived here. Um, you know what I mean? And it's, it's hard sometimes, I feel like, now in society to have critiques for capitalism, even though we aim to benefit from it as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as people who exist in this society. So it's like, it's hard to say, man, I don't like that. But also like, I have a capitalistic venture that I, right? yeah, you know, it's hard for people to feel like your opinions are valid in that sense. But I think there is something to the fact that like being community forward, being by the community for the community helps your business more than it hurts it by far. Like it's not even close, you know? Um, so I don't know. I just feel like I have to stew on that sometimes too, as someone who has a lot of critiques for capitalism and yeah. individualism, um, but also benefits from that as a business right. owner. So right. it's like, and it doesn't have to be, at least in my mind, doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. And in fact, like I, I really think anything does. And <laughs> so like, you know, my day job is a theology teacher. So like I live in paradox, you know, like there is just so much mystery in, in the world and in a way of being. Yeah. And so for me, like a huge thing for me is just having some intellectual humility and, and having a lack of certainty. Yeah. Like I think uncertainty is so key mm-hmm. in moving. Like, you know, I'm confident in what I'm doing and I'm going to go forward and do it, but also well aware that like none of the things that I'm doing may fully work. 
you know, like yeah. it all could fail. Yeah. And, and being well aware of that as we move forward. Um, and, and then I think it's also best to critique a thing from inside it, you yeah. know, as opposed to just like to be on the outside. No, like I'm a part of this. Right. And, and, and there's no disentangling myself from it unless I want to go like live on a commune somewhere. And that's like always on the table a little bit. But <laughs> at the same time, no, like I want to like live in this world, this narrative that I've been given and be able to like while in it critique it and yeah. hopefully reform it to the best of my own ability right. right and and very much understanding that it's not just me and it can't just be me it has to be a larger group of people correct and that's what quorum is about like i want it to be this community oriented thing i think like on my pitch like it's like community driven affordable housing mm -hmm. um as opposed to like somebody coming in and saying hey here's how, how we're going to do it mm -hmm. but you know like this was it was just like one in my backyard and then bubbling up from that was other people asking like oh like how'd you do this yeah. can i do this like, you know, and the questions led to the necessity of the thing. Right. And so yeah. as many things as, as can come from that, like I didn't expect to be an entrepreneur in 2018. You know, I thought I was just going to be a teacher and live my own like little nice life. Um, but then it just like the need kept being there to do it. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, so two things you talked about that I do kind of want to get into here. The first of which being uh, moving forward with uncertainty. Mm. I have done it. Do I like it? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I am, you know, now being almost two years as a full-time entrepreneur, I understand that it's a part of it. And at the end of the day, like you said, like there's only so much I can control anyway. So there's no point in really worrying about all the things, you know what I mean? All you can do is what you can do. And then whatever happens, like happens. But as long as you're checking yourself at the door, every door that you walk in, right. And making sure that you're doing the best you can, like, that's great. Um, and I just remember hearing this um, quote from Cody Warner. He was on a podcast, another video podcast, ironically. Mm -hmm. Not mine, but he's welcome. Um, he's awesome. But he was saying, like, you know, you have to get to a point as a creator, as an entrepreneur, as whatever you want to call it, to where, like, you're okay with failing. You know what I'm saying? You're okay with putting yourself out there and understanding, like, this may not work out the way I think it's going to work out. This may not work out in the time that I think it's going to work out in. And that definitely, for me, was... Um, I would say really interesting when I first heard it because I was like, yo, like, man, I, I, I want to be at that point, mm -hmm. you know, because this stress and this anxiety that is surrounding being full time, is just like not it. Um, right. But it's, it's going to be there. You know, there's going to be ups and downs in life. So I don't know. Um, interesting paradox that we as people often navigate. Yeah. We're going after things. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I mean, not to get like too far out into the weeds, I think there is something in us that is just used to adaptation. Mm -hmm. If we can like find like, there's certainly a part of us that just wants comfort yeah. and just wants to like be in our lane and stay there and chill. But then like, I think we all are aware that no, like adaptation is part of what we must do. Mm -hmm. Like time doesn't give us a break. Like time keeps moving. And I know that two years from now, like the problems, the issues, the needs of Durham are going to be different than they are today. And so Quorum is going to necessarily need to adapt. And I am too. Like I'm a parent. I have like kids. Like when I was a parent of an 18 month old, I had to behave a certain way. And now as a parent of a six and a five, uh, seven and five year old, I have to behave a different way. I don't know how old my kids are. Um, you know, like, Pivoting is, that's like the biggest lesson that I've learned 
mm. as an entrepreneur, which I, I think being a teacher was already like a good like preamble to getting into entrepreneurship because as a teacher, like, I mean, you're just always pivoting. And like, I started teaching in 2010 and students in 2010 had just like different brains than students in 2020. <laughs> like that was like pre Instagram, yeah. which is crazy. And now like, you know, my students are like on TikTok 24 yeah. seven. And, and so, and like, you know, it's just like, and it warps our minds and we know that. And so there's just like, our world changes and it's changing at a fast pace. Right. I almost quoted Ferris Bueller, but I'm like, not going to do that because I don't think that's necessary. <laughs> <laughs> that's what popped into my head just now. I mean, I'm from Alabama. I'll allow it. I mean, if you feel it's necessary, but, um, <laughs> we don't have to go there. Um, but yeah, so the second thing you talked about was really diving deep into, you know, what it means to, I guess, just have agency mm. in, um, what things look like too. So like, yes, having that like risk, risk part of it and leaning into that risk as you move forward in life, but also like enacting agency in the work that you do as someone who still has the option to just say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to be a teacher mm -hmm. and just going to collect my rent and I'm just going to keep it moving. Um, it does obviously like if you wanted to do that, you would have done it by now. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, you know, we, we have choices in life and it's like I can I can keep going in this way or I can just kind of like learn what it means to me to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And I think that definition changes with each person. Mm -hmm. um, and it definitely has been different for each person that's been on this show. Yeah. Um, so for you moving forward in, I guess, land acknowledgement in the history and legacy that is Durham and the current time that is Durham and mm -hmm. all that Durham will be in the future. Like what are some things that you see, um, happening in terms of the landscape here and the ecosystem here that is really community forward and has been community forward for so long. Hmm. Hmm. There's a lot in that question. Yeah. Repeat the question one more time. <laughs> yeah. and just like, smaller way yes okay so that Durham to me has always been very community forward from the yes. moment that I moved here it you is. know what I mean and so your business now is very community centered in its development mm -hmm. what do you see going forward in terms of creating and working with people to create agency in their own lives through home equity through these right, dwellings right, right. through all of the things yeah um, I mean I think that's so I'll start with the agency piece and move back to the community piece. But when you have this thing in your backyard, when you have an ADU in your backyard and you open up what was formerly just your backyard to somebody else and now you're responsible for the care of it, for the upkeep, for all these different things and for like stewarding this relationship now with this person who lives in your backyard, like inherently like you've become somewhat of an entrepreneur. And so like the act itself of doing the thing mm -hmm. puts you into that space, whether you like it or not. And then you're gonna have to start asking questions like, well, what are my boundaries? Like, what is their space, my space? What's communal space? And, and I think all of that, there's tension in all of that. Mm. But I think it's good tension. I think it, I mean, it's certainly built up my wife and I and my kids um, as we've shared our space. And hopefully, you know, our tenants who, are, who have like shared space with us, like hopefully it's been like reciprocal, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I think that that's going to be the case for whoever does this work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think inherently it does that. And eventually, like right now, the way Quorum has been structured is a couple major investors have 
put in funds that have allowed me to go build some homes, mm-hmm. right? And my, my hope is to be able to have it be like myself, you, other folks in the neighborhood being able to pool funds to build an ADU. And then as homes in the neighborhood rise up in value, because we all have a share in this, like all of our equity, all of our monetary value is going up as that increases. Right. And so when I when I look at that, like if I if we could do like a thousand of these across Durham and all Durham invested mm-hmm. as Durham grows and the property values rise up, all of our shares in these initial builds are gonna go up with it. Um, so there's that. And then on top of that, like going back to like the pivoting and as things change, like I want as I build that community for the community to dictate like what happens next. And so like something that I'm seeing right now already coming from that is tiny home villages and, and like pocket neighborhoods. Mm. And then, so I've met with, you know, there's four folks I'm meeting with right now who on there's two up in Bragtown. Um, one's a Raleigh one and then another one's in North Durham, but on the other side, not the Bragtown side, the other side of North Durham. And these folks are like wanting to create these pocket neighborhoods and and more intentional community. And I'm learning a lot from just experiencing, like walking the land with them. Like one of them, um, the lady who owns it, when she purchased it, it's right behind Stagville Plantation, Mm. which has a a rich history to it, a lot of blood in that soil. And she had, um, the name of the tribe is leaving me right now, but she invited. um, It's not the Lumbee, is it? I thought it started with an O, but maybe. You might be right. I don't know. But she invited um, an indigenous person to come to the land. And she said, you know, when she was telling me the story, she's like, as soon as she, like, stepped onto the driveway, she started to weep. Mm-hmm. And and how, and I've been asking myself the question, like, how do we bring that kind of history, the history of the place, into what we do? And, like, on my Instagram page, if you go to it, there's, like, a map of Durham from 1937 with all the Negro streets marked mm. and the white streets marked. And, like, I mean, the intentionality of, like, what's been done. And the Bull City 50 website has, like, all these resources as well. But how to bring that in, that consciousness into what we build and, and, and have those voices heard through what we do, I think is going to be key. Now, going back to the whole community piece, like, to keeping Durham that way, right? Instilling that history in the things that we create is so key to keeping Durham the communal place that it is. I think Durham does a pretty good job of that. Yeah. But with how many people are flooding in, the risk you have as a city losing its ethos because, you know, the people coming in are coming from all sorts of different places. And those places have their own histories. Yeah. But, like, to then have it enfolded into Durham's history. And I've done that. You know, like, I come, I was born in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Yeah. And my parents are Haitian. And so, and they were born in Haiti. And, you know, we bought that history in, with the floor. But then when I moved to Durham, you know, it took a while before I, like, learned Durham's history. But now, having been here in North Carolina almost, goodness, maybe like eight, nine years now, you know, like a third of my adult life has now been here and I've very much like adopted and and had the history of this place, the ethos of this place living now in me. Mm -hmm. And I want avenues for that to happen with people as they move in. And I've kind of gone all over the place, so I don't know if I've even answered your question. Yeah, it's but fine. <laughs> hopefully something in there. Agency's going to get created by having an ADU and community. Yes. Um, so this one is not a business-related question or even necessarily a Quorum Homes-related question, but you have kind of touched on it twice, so, it, twice, twice. Mm-hmm. so I do kind of want to acknowledge it here so you said earlier you're like well all this land is stolen anyway mm. um and then you mentioned that you brought an indigenous woman or not you but someone yeah, else brought an indigenous indigenous woman to the land and that connection just was so inherent as soon as she stepped onto it mm-hmm. so one thing i've come across recently is land acknowledgement 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I said Lumbee was because now sometimes when I get on Zoom calls, you know, they say, well, you know, introduce yourself, your name, where are you calling from? And I'll say, you know, I'm Angela. I'm currently calling from the traditional uh, Lumbee tribe lands, uh, also known as Durham, North Carolina. And that's kind of that's kind of the vibe. You know, it's yeah. not every call that I get on, but right. there are is now, I think, a more intentional um, effort to just like acknowledge the land that we live on right. now, right? Instead right. of just saying like, this is Durham, North Carolina, like no, say you lived here before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it comes to, I mean, it's it's hard. Let's just start there. Like it's, it's hard, especially when you didn't grow up with it, um, especially when you know that there is literally like the Lumbee tribe living down the road and they are n- nowhere near the amount of land ownership that they have on this map. Mm-hmm. When I looked up, you know, what Durham previously was. Um, and so really stepping into the fact that like there is, uh, I don't even know, I don't even know if apologies is the right word, but there's a, a lot of, um, reality that sinks in when you see, you know, what once was for this right. group of people and now acknowledging that, you know, well, now I have this shared history with this land now as somebody who came, I mean, obviously our ancestors came here against their will, but whatever they came, mm-hmm. they're here now. They're part of this history in this country. And even at a national level, you know, indigenous people have been erased, you know, and really even more so than black people shut out of the benefits of land ownership, rightful land ownership. Let's just start there. Um, So when it comes to coming to terms with that and not just community ownership for what Durham looks like now, which is does have a very big black population, has a very big immigrant population, has an increasingly um, transient population coming in how like aside from land acknowledgement like what are some ways that you see the germ community and communities across the country kind of coming together as these like big shifts in populations happen you know Mm -hmm. what are some ways that we can keep that and instill that and increase that like overall perception of you know what it means to care for one another I know that's like a weird question but like you know, when we talk about our ethos of community and loving one another, caring for one another, um, making, providing for one another in some way, and investing in organizations who are trying to do that work on a local level, um, I think that could take a lot of different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, for I guess, in this sense of development, if let's say I'm renting, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm not at a place where I'm owning a home and wanting to invest in an ADU, what could that look like in terms of me also being a part of the movement that is acknowledging the land that we live on? I mean, that's such a big question. And I don't think, I know, I'll just say, I know I don't have the answer to that question. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people trying to figure out the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, but even like leaving alone the tenant thing that you brought up last, just like going back to just acknowledgement and like living with, living with the facts of, of reality of, of history. Yeah. I mean, that alone, like you, you, you learn things, right? Like, I mean, and, and there's like a nature of this that happens as we grow up. Like when you're five, there's a certain amount of, of truth that you can handle, you know, like, and, and, you know, there's like even Kendi's anti-racist baby book. And like, there's like different people trying to do like different things to yeah. do age appropriate teaching of these things. But I think for a lot of us, I know for me personally, like the history that I was given was a very whitewashed history. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not a full orbed history. 
Um, and then coming to terms with that, and I love what you, I love how you're doing it on Zoom calls and just coming in. This is where I'm coming from. Um, it was expected, I feel like, at first. And then I was like, okay, I need to get used to this. <laughs> right, right. Um, I like it. I might, like, adopt that. Um, but, yeah, like, I think at all times a little bit, and partly because I'm a history teacher and because, like, you know, and, and I have to try to also not be, like, jaded. I'm, like, I'm so used to, like, every year in one of my classes, I, I teach through the Bull City 150 website and go through land in Durham. And you can just get to the point where you just talk about it and you don't think about it. And it's just, it is what it is. You disconnect your body from the thing. Mm -hmm. And, man, like, I think it's so important to actually just sit with it and recognize it. Because there is the fact that we also can't change what was done. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so what level of of lament, of of sorrow, of of acknowledgement is, is necessary, and how far back do we go? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I don't have the answer to any of those questions. Yes, yeah. um, it's just it's hard, and I think, but I do think what you're doing and talking about it is at the very least where we start. Yeah, right, and then together coming up with what's next. And I mean, being able to, while within the system, going back to where we started, of just like having a critical eye of the systems that we're a part of. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just owning the fact that these are broken systems. That like, you know, James Madison in the Federalist Papers, right, we must protect the minority of the opulent from the majority. Mm. You know, like our country was designed in a sense to make sure that private property and those who had wealth were protected from the fact that the majority of people don't. Mm. Um, and I will say personally, like, I want to live in a world where we all have all our needs met, yeah. you know, and part of quorum, like what I want to see is like the financial freedom for people mm. to then be able to go after their creative passions. Like you and I were talking about before, if like you get into pursue the things you want to pursue, yeah. you know, like there's a certain level of, of financial stability. You need to do that. Yeah. Or else, like, I mean, if you're making seven twenty-five an hour and have two kids and, like, you're, and, you can, and you can barely make rent or you're behind on your rent, yeah. you know, like, that's all you're thinking about. Yeah. You know? There's nothing else. Yeah. That, that, that sucks up all the creative residue yeah. that exists inside of a person. Yeah. Um, and that's just the financial piece. Then there's, like, you know, the deficits we have communally and just relationally yeah right our inability to see one another yeah. and then you combine those deficits yeah and it's just like like i can get so just downtrodden on the state of the world as like i continually see people unable to see one another yeah um and and people have been writing about that and seeing that for a very long time but it doesn't seem to be getting better yeah and i guess that's where i was kind of going with that question because it's like Okay, yeah, these are the way that ways that I'm having these conversations about land acknowledgement. But these are also places where people one, it's not it wasn't my idea. You know, someone else set this tone of like this is how we're going to acknowledge where we live. Like, yeah, you mm -hmm. can still say Durham, but also say what what Durham used to be, whose land this used to be. And so I'm also doing it in spaces where other people are like minded, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so I think there's, you know, there is this concept of like wanting to be around like-minded people, but what about the other people who aren't like-minded, but that also still live in your community? Like right. you sh can't just like exclude them from the conversation. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like they also need to be a part of what's happening. I was, maybe that's not the best way to say it. They also, sh it is as a community of people, as mm -hmm. a community of people, like I do not agree with the fact that like, you know, 
it, it's not fair for us to, in our own way, be individualistic or mm -hmm. only care about the people who look like us because that's what everybody before us has always done. Yep. That's not the definition of community, mm -hmm. right? That we want to continue to reinforce and like reinstill in people, right? Um, and make other people feel like they don't have a place in our world that we're creating or trying to progress and stuff like that. Um, and so I think there is. Uh, there's something to be said for how we approach not only conversations that you have with clients, that you have with investors, that you have with people in the community that you're working with, but also people who are just curious about like, well, what makes, you know, my development not community centered? Right. Or, you know, like, how can I work towards doing that and still have a profit? Mm -hmm. um, or... I don't know, just all the questions that come about. Like, I saw something on Twitter the other day, and it was this guy with a lot of followers, like 20-something thousand followers, and he was like, you know, what I really don't like these days is the entitlement to people thinking they deserve housing. And it's like, whew, I don't think that's how that, what people are trying to say. Like, there's a very nuanced conversation that needs to be had around affordable housing, what that looks like. And I still think for a majority of people who may not really understand or have understood in the past what it truly means to be house poor or like those type of things, housing insecure, um, what it can look like for a community to come together and say like, hey, affordable housing needs to be had because like moving outside the city just isn't an option for me. Maybe I have an older relative I need to take care of. Mm -hmm. I have kids that I need to provide for and like there just aren't as many opportunities if I move outside of the city. Like there's a lot to that conversation of why affordable housing needs to be available and if nothing else, in terms of healthcare, like having secure housing is healthcare. But, right. you know, like how do we even start to have those conversations with people who feel like, you know, housing is a privilege? <laughs> yes. Know? How indeed. Yeah. Um, goodness. Yeah. Let me. I just. I want to let that settle because you said a lot of good things there. <laughs> I don't know. This is just no, me rambling yeah. into eternity about housing. No, but you're right, and. People have completely different ways of seeing the world and seeing what, yeah, what people are entitled to, what people are not entitled to. Yeah. Um, but a fact of the world, and, and that's, uh, I guess that's where I'll start too, is like helping people to see certain things that simply are, that we can't necessarily dispute. And I mean, you're going to be able to, like, we could dispute whether this is real or if we're, if we're in a simulation right now. But like, <laughs> to the best of our ability, able to dispute, right? Um, I, I think of like the fact that there is enough, there are enough materials and things and rooms for everybody to have a roof over their head. It's not a problem of does the thing exist? It's where are the pipelines, the avenues, the pathways to get the people who have connected to the people who do not have, right? I mean, I read in a book, there's a book called Sacred Economics by this guy Charles Eisenstein and he writes in there, um, half the world wastes enough food to feed the other half that starves. Yeah. And I mean, that's just true. Like, you know, we waste a ton. And there are so, there's just so much unused land, underused land, or overdeveloped land where, you know, like, not that it's wrong to have a 10,000 square foot, eight bedroom, five bathroom house for yourself and your dog and, and whatever, but how, and this is a question I'm about to ask quite, like, how do we get to the point where what's good for me is good for you 
And like, I'm not going to have this extra good at the expense of you. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think oftentimes like a critique I have of capitalism is often like my wealth comes at the expense of another. And how can we avoid that? How can we build systems within a capitalistic structure where, no, like what benefits me also benefits the, the least common denominator, like, uh, like that also up, uplifts everybody involved. Yeah. Um, and I hope Quorum is that. Like as I'm developing it, our, like our financial products, the homes that we build, like that is my design question is what do we share? What do we hold in common? Mm-hmm. And how is it that everybody involved benefits in a sustainable way, right? And in an equitable way, right? If you are a billion dollar investor, like you don't need as much as a person over here who can only afford a $300 a month rent. Hmm. And so like, what are the areas where you can give and not, and still turn a profit, mm-hmm. but just not turn like the most gargantuan profit, mm-hmm. right? For the sake of the person over here, who's not just gonna get a handout, they're gonna work full time to like, pay what they need to pay yeah right and it is nuanced and it's complicated and like there are people on fixed incomes there are people who like you said have to take care of children and families and aging grandparents yeah or have been hurt injured like i mean there's just so many different stories yeah and i don't know just to just curiosity like i just i want people to have curiosity yeah. about other people and other people's stories yeah just to the point where we're going to be empathetic, where we're not going to say, oh, no, I see it this way. And if you don't, you're outside, I'm inside and we're done talking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so for me, like and I hope Quorum can do that because yeah. I do think, you know, <laughs> I think I like toe the line enough that whatever side of the aisle that you're on, that there's something here for you. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I want, you know? Um, because I don't want to silo myself into just like, these are all the people, this is my little echo chamber, everybody here thinks the same way I do. No, like I want to bring along the person who is everything that I'm not mm-hmm. and have them a part of this as well. Yeah. Because um, we're all tied together. Like we, we are, whether we like it or not. Yeah. I think early on, like, so I went full time into Angie's studio May 2020, yeah, May 2020. All the years are running together. But one of the first terms that I heard when I started doing work with nonprofit and nonprofit video storytelling was this term mutual aid. Mm -hmm. And I got out of using the word handout so, so much Mm -hmm. because of that concept of like, no, helping you is also helping me. Mm -hmm. Like this is not a handout, you know what I'm saying? Because at some point I needed help. We all need help at some point in life, you know? So it's kind of like I got out of this, like, whole handout thing. Like, maybe, you know, there are times when you are, you know, like, there is a hierarchy, you know, class hierarchy, whatever, social economic hierarchy where, you know, yeah, like, there is somebody who has more money, has more resources, that is helping someone who maybe doesn't have as much, you know, resources or access to finances. But, like, helping them also helps this other person. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just like teaching. It's like, do you only teach and pour into your students? Do they not pour into you? You know, like re reevaluating our understanding of like reciprocal relationships yes. is like so huge in business, in life, in community, and family, and all the things. Right. It's just like, how can we get back to helping people understand that like mutual aid is a two-way street? You know, mm-hmm. this is not a handout. Affordable housing is not a handout, mm-hmm. you know? 
Um, right. So, yeah. Right. And that works on, like, just, like, the relational level. But then also, like, even if you think, like, big system level. Yeah. Like, if there were no poverty, everybody's better if there's no poverty. Yeah. It's not just the people who are in poverty who are helped by that. It is all of society. Right. That is helped by that. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, on one level, people do understand that. But it's hard to go beyond, especially when it, once that, that moment when it comes up against you. Yeah. Because I've met people who are like, oh, this is a really cool idea. And then it's like, Don't, can I build in your backyard? And they're like, not in my backyard. Right. You know, when like, it comes to me expanding. When it comes something. to me, no. Yeah. Oh, that's cool that you want folks to like take a little bit less and not profit as much so that you can do this other thing at this price point. That's great. Okay, do you want to invest? No, no, I can actually get 20% returns over here. So like, that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and like, and for me, I had to come to that realization because like, you know, I went from teaching to like trying to fundraise and like make this happen. And I was like, oh yeah, like this is going to be great. Investors taking a little bit less so that we can build a little bit smaller so that prices can be affordable. People can stay in the city. Yes, yes, yes. Win, win, win. Everything's <laughs> going to be great. People are going to want to give to this. No problem. Yeah. And some people did, but the amount of no's that I have heard. Yeah. To the point, like, going back to what you were saying, like, checking yourself at the door. Like, you can't be any type of creative if you're going to or entrepreneur if you can't take the nose. Yeah. Because, I mean, so for every... Nose. So, <laughs> many <laughs> so many nose. So many Yeah. And, I mean, like, I, and, and to the, I'm, I'm to the point where, you know, just... You get used to you it. You get so used to it. The first couple of sting, it's like, I thought we had a connection. Yeah. But then you're just like, oh, that's fine. And you just got to keep on going. Yeah. You just keep moving. It's all um, good. And it is what it is. But... But I agree. Like, I mean, I want people to, to get to that place where they can, where they can see that. And um, and I love I love the term mutual aid. I mean, on our website we talk about mutuality and solidarity, yeah. like those two things. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just like that me helping you helps me, but like also the extent to which like your experience is like my shared experience as well. Yeah. Like we all have our own experience of the world. Yeah. But at the same time, you know. I think it's important that we all still feel the things that other people are going through. Yeah. Like, I remember the first, like, when, when Putin first invaded Ukraine, just to get, like, real broad. But, um, like, I just felt so heavy that day. Like, I don't know. I don't know any Ukrainians. Yeah. I actually I don't know any Russians either, as, as far as I know. But, like, seeing it and just knowing, like, that is a, a fellow human being. Those yeah. are fellow human beings. Yeah. Like, they all woke up this morning at some point. Yeah. And then got dressed or didn't get dressed you know, plan to live and, and didn't or whatever. And just the heaviness of human experience and the vastness of it mm-hmm. for us to all like feel and share in that, which is heavy and it's hard. And then there's like so much trauma that we all have individually and collectively. And like, to what extent do you want to ask people to do all this? And like, <laughs> yeah. and I don't know, like I, I want so badly for the world to like come together and for all of us to like have these like agreed upon commons but kind of like the Declaration of Human Rights, but yeah. universal deck. But you know, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> we're just not going to go yeah. there. <laughs> but to to your point, like how the how you know, yeah. and and for me, I, I thought housing was like a good place to start because it's like everybody thinks everybody needs a house. Yeah. You know, some that person who says like, oh, it's a it's a it's a privilege or whatever, and like you know, this is not something that everybody should have. Like even they think I th- I, I mean I'm assuming, but I think that they would still say it's a nice thing to have. Right. Right? Even if it's not, like, owed to you, it's a nice thing to have. And if we can agree on that, then why not make a way, an avenue, a path, so that that nice thing is something that everybody can have? Because yeah. we don't have to agree whether it's a human right or not a human right. 
I might think it is, yeah. and that's going to be me. But if you don't, we can still agree that it's a nice thing to have and that people should have it. Yeah. And so let's make a way. Yeah, let's there's nice together. things that come with having a house. And think, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then going off of what you said about um, just like there is no handout. Like we all, or we all have been giving handout. Like I think that's, that's the argument that like hearing people say like I'm self-made or that, that whole concept is just false from the beginning. Like yeah. it just has a false presupposition. Yeah. Because there's nothing... You know, even existence. Like, I did not create myself. Right. And even the person that I've become, that's shaped by, like, a billion occurrences, none of which that I invented or developed. Like, I did not write the code that developed my brain. Mm-hmm. It just is the yeah. thing, the deck that I was given, mm-hmm. right? And to say that this is mine is just, I don't know, it just feels backwards yeah. and not, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, little ways of helping people see that. Yeah. I think are, are huge and talking about it. Yeah. So here are to the little ways and to talking about the land that we live on and the community that we love. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you coming in. I'm sorry if I asked you too many heavy questions. I need to get better at like shortening my questions, but sometimes I have to frame them up so it doesn't sound like they're coming out of the blue. Right. Right. I don't know. No, this was great. And I, I love heavy questions. Uh, <laughs> I know that's weird, but it's okay. It's okay. Good. I'm glad you like it because I, I did bring you here to ask you questions. So, yeah. and I did ask you questions. So you, did, you did it. I did. So can you tell people who don't know you how to find you online? Sure. Um, so you can go to quorum houses, C O R A M houses.org. That's our website. Um, quorum houses on Instagram and I'm Topher Thomas. Um, Short for Christopher. Short for Christopher. Yes. Yeah. My, uh, my, my parents are Haitian, and my mom thought Chris sounded too much like Christ, and she was like, I don't want people calling you Jesus. I don't like it. And I was like, okay. In America, though? <laughs> I don't know anybody who's ever confused a Chris with a Christ, but, you know. Right. <laughs> Shout out to your mom, though. Yes. You're just like, eh, I'm not going to. She didn't like, I think she didn't like for herself. She was like, uh-uh. <laughs> no. So. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. I loved it.